0: So my prayer has been that, that we would spend time together every week, both in our trainings on Sunday evenings and even in our home groups throughout the week, that we'd spend time together, but specifically around the Word. So not, not a casual thing. I mean, yes, we have a good time, but, but focused and around the Word so that the direction of, of Renewed Church becomes very clear and we understand who we are and what we're about and where we're headed. And, what is our vision, which is where we're headed, and what is our mission? So what is our purpose of how we're, why we're headed in that direction, but even our strategy on how we're going to get there? So all of this works together on Know Who We Are as a church. And so our vision is to bring God's renewal to Bell County and the world and our mission so we will exist as a church so that people will be made new in Jesus and grow in Jesus, and be released into the world for Jesus. This is why we're planting Renewal Church. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks. And so we've been talking about this vision and mission in action. So our, our strategy, which describes how we're going to get there. We've been looking at that from Acts chapter 2. And we'll read it again tonight so that we can be reminded of the foundation for this gospel-centered strategy Again, the how we accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. And as you're looking for Acts 2, there, there are four parts or four components to our strategy. The first one we looked at is worship. And we saw that worship is the fuel for and the end of the mission. So worship is what fuels us. God's presence fuels us, but also worship is is the end. That's the purpose. That's where we're headed. For eternity, we're going to be worshipers. And so this is the fuel for and the end of the mission. And then lastly, we talked about number two, which is community. We saw last week that that community is the context for the mission. So we are on mission, but we do it together. And that no one grows alone and no one is on mission alone. That it's to know others and to be known by others. And so that was last week. And so tonight is number three in our four-part strategy discussion, and that's tonight, which is growth, which is the result of the mission. So whenever a church is healthy, focused on Christ and His gospel, the result, the natural result, is spiritual growth and transformation. Acts 2.42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. So verse 42 describes that they were devoted. So this is a enthusiastic, dedicated commitment. So they were, they were devoted to three things. If you read it, there are three activities that they were devoted to. It says that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. So number one, devoted to the word. And so they were they were committed to the word. Number two, it says they were devoted to fellowship, and and we see that because it describes here breaking bread, and this breaking bread, and it says fellowship as well. So, so they were devoted to fellowship. The breaking of bread, and so this breaking of bread, which is communion, is symbolic of our fellowship. And so, so you see the emphasize, and so that fellowship, and then even communion or Lord's Supper is a symbol of that, that fellowship they have, that oneness that community. So committed to the word, number two, to fellowship, number three, to prayer. And it says, and to the prayers. And so these three activities are what marked the early church. They were a praying church, they were a fellowshipping church, and they were a church that was focused upon God's word. Now these three, so word, and prayer are oftentimes called spiritual disciplines because they require discipline. <laughs> it takes discipline to go to bed earlier and get up earlier and read the Bible and, and pray, right? It takes discipline to go to your home group. Now, by the way, and, and be honest, who here has noticed so far the first month in that home groups are challenging? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, only two honest people? I like it. Let's just keep it real. Isn't Sunday school easier? Ooh, I like the honesty. So, in some ways it's easier, arguably, and well, okay, I love, I love the culture inculcating it. I love it. It's awesome. Is Sunday school more convenient? Yes. Well, those that are nodding their heads don't have small children. (laughs) Those of us that are saying, yes, Sunday school is more convenient, have small children so I'll just qualify that it can be more inconvenient it can require more of commitments or devotion but I hope even just a few weeks in and I don't say this to disparage Sunday school like I'm walking a fine line here I'm not ripping or dissing a Sunday school I'm just following God's leading for this church through his spirit and what I read here which is that they're meeting in homes and That can bring challenges, especially when you have small children. It's Wednesday night, you just want to stay home, and you're like, oh, but I get to go to home group. Like, I get to go should be the response, because it brings joy. But it still requires devotion. Let's just keep that clear. They were devoted to this. But this is what they were doing. And so these disciplines, is what they were doing on word. Fellowship and prayer. So verse 42, so follow me on the progression. Verse 42 at the top, this is what they were doing, right? And then verses 43 through 46 describes a church transformed. Like totally changed. Remember something, these people were lost in Acts chapter 1. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They were lost. And then they hear Peter preaching, and they hear the gospel, and they come to faith, they receive the Holy Spirit, and now what happens? Now they're they're praying, they're reading the Word, they're fellowshipping, and then they're transformed, because what do you see in the next four verses? You see them living very different. You see what worship and deep love, you see generosity from them. Like, man, this is not the way they lived before, this caring for each other, All of a sudden, you have total change of their life's trajectory. It's now completely changed tracks because of Jesus. And then verse 47 describes a church on mission. So a praying church, a church that is focused on the word and a fellowship, is a transformed church that then results with being on mission. It says in verse 47, day by day, people were being Saved. And the church was exploding with growth. And this is the model, and this is why God had led me to kind of phrase our mission statement as uh, we exist so that people will be made new. And then grow. And then released into the world for Jesus. This is what you see here in Acts 2. This is, this is the flow. This isn't This isn't check the box, show up on a Sunday, churchianity. This is real. This is transformation, and the result is change lives. The result is being on mission. So growth is the result of the mission. This is what it looks like. Let me give you the foundational truth about growth. Is there in your notes? So this is kind of a core foundational truth about growth, which is your growth, my growth, So your growth is the restoration of God's purpose for you. Hear this, I'm talking about why you exist, your reason for living, why there is breath in your lungs, why God even made you in the first place, why you get up in the morning, your purpose. So your growth is a reclaiming, a renewal, a restoration of God's purpose for you. So Ephesians 1-4 describes how we have a destiny from eternity past to eternity future. A destiny to be holy. Ephesians 1-4 says, even as He, of course, being God, He chose us in Him, again, in Jesus, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before He even spoke the world into existence, He knew you. He loved you. He treasured you. He chose you. You have been an object created for the pleasure of God. And he just lavishes his love and his delight on you. You're his little boy. You're his little girl. Like you're his boy. He loves you and he treasures you. And it says, so before that, he chose you that we should be holy. And blameless before Him. This is our destiny. This is where we're headed for eternity, to be holy and blameless. So let's talk about God's purpose for you and for me. So let's talk about created in God's image. Is there in your notes? So created in God's image is where we're going to begin the conversation about your purpose and how it connects with being holy. So Genesis 1.27, beginning of the Bible, it says, God created man in His own image, In the image of God, he created him. So God made humans in God's image. And so we, male and female both, so we were made to bear God's image here on earth, which is to know him, to walk with him, to enjoy his presence, and to rule over the earth under his authority, because we had dominion. We talked about this a few weeks ago. So, What we see here in Genesis 1 with our created in His image is that God made us to reflect Him, so to image His glory. So to be human is to share God's character and then to display it for the praise of His name. So it's a father-child relationship where like father, like son. Sons, for better or worse, will be like their fathers. Like, I'm sure wives can attest that in the room. I'm sure sometimes you're like, oh, you're just like your father. And so, and sometimes you're like, oh, you're just like your father. And it's a delight to you. Like, hopefully more often than not, it's a enjoying that that he's like his father. But actually, we, we talk, night to couples often. And that are, you know, dating or engaged and not married yet and we, we counsel this is to the to the the girl most often we say hey be aware that when you have kids someday if you have a little boy he's going to be just like his dad now are you good with that are you happy about that the thought that your future son will be carbon copy in a lot of ways just like Your current boyfriend. Does that, does that make your heart beat fast? And are you excited about that? You're like, yes, that would be awesome to bring another human into the world who's like his dad. That would be, that would be great. Or do you think, yeah, we don't need any more than one, one's enough. (laughs) And if you feel that way, then maybe you shouldn't marry him because this is his character. That more than likely, because it's the reality of how God's made us, we're going to reflect our Father. And we were designed by God's own will that we would be like our Father. That we would reflect Him. That we would image Him. Created in His image speaks of this beautiful love relationship. We reflect our Father. But then we have a broken image. You go to Genesis 3, and what you see is how we have inherited a sinful and corrupted nature. We have twisted sinful hearts, and so we are rebellious children that refuse to love and trust and obey our loving Father. We don't image, we don't reflect our Father and His glory. We don't enjoy Him. Instead, we turn to We enjoy worthless idols that we're looking to for joy and purpose and meaning and hope and they promise all of that and then they're just counterfeits and cannot satisfy our souls and so we are broken we're sinful and we we fail to fully reflect the image of God next God's true image Colossians 1:15 describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God says so Jesus is the perfect Image of the Father like father like son, is what you see with Jesus and the Father. Hebrews 1:3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And so what you see with Jesus is he shows us what God is like. so if you wonder, well what I wonder what God is like? It's not that complex. Well, it is, because he's infinite. But if you want a simple start to that conversation, what's God like? Look to Jesus, and you see what God is like. Because he is God in the flesh. He perfectly mirrors, reflects, images the glory of God. And so the glory of God is the sum of all that God is. And so God is what? He is holy. He is love. He is good. He is beautiful. He's just, he, he he has splendor and majesty and wisdom, and He's the judge. And all of these realities of what God is like, the sum total of Him, the Bible says that He is manifold in Ephesians 3. Manifold refers to multi-sided. So God is one, but just like a prism or a diamond, when you shine light in it, there's manifold colors, there's multi-colors that shine brightly, and that's what God's glory is like. It's many different ways, and so you can talk about His beauty, or His purity, or His justice, different attributes, but it's the same God. And all of that, the sum total that you can say is His glory, and Jesus is the perfect person, the true image of God. And so what we see here is He also shows what humans were meant to be like so let's talk about recreated in God's image so God's plan his redemptive plan is to rescue people that are far from him and to redeem them by setting them free from their slavery to sin to save them from God's own holy wrath and to remove The curse that God put on this world for our disobedience and to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into His kingdom of light, into His presence where there's fullness of joy, where He will heal our brokenness. We are adopted into His family where we now belong. And this whole reality of salvation, we could talk about so many different ways we need to understand salvation as recreation. When we are saved, we are actually recreated with new hearts in his image. Which is why 2 Corinthians 5:17 says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? new creation." So this is what it means when someone comes to faith in Jesus, they're made new. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And So when someone is saved, there's a complete transformation. There's a spiritual resurrection at the deepest possible human level. We get a new nature. This is called the new birth, oftentimes. Jesus talked about that in John 3. We get new desires, new hopes, a new heart. We receive the Spirit of God. And so believers have been recreated, made new. This is called regeneration sometimes. There's lots of different terms for the same reality. And so through the powerful union with Christ, through His Spirit, here's what's happening. We can grow in holiness. We not in our power, but through His power, in us, we can walk in spirit. We can reflect the glory. We can image our Father, share in His character, and reflect that for His glory. <laughs> Let me give you an example that is really personal, and I went back and forth and prayed all week, and and I, I do want to share it. And I, I think sharing personal stories is good when you're a lead pastor, but I. I think what's more important is just the Bible, like to just read this is more important than my own stories. But I think it's helpful sometimes um, to know that I'm a real person just like you guys are. I'm just as <laughs> as all of you guys are, I promise. Um, so three years ago in May, we adopted two little boys from Ethiopia. At the time, we were living in the Middle East. Um, but if I could even just tell you the process, like that would take the rest of our time. Um, to tell you the process of adopting and just how grueling and how hard that was. And at the end, the, the joy of having these two little boys that were in an orphanage that had no family. Um, their, their names were, were given by the orphanage nannies. And they didn't even have a birthday. I didn't even know their birthday. We, we kind of picked one. Based upon the doctor's assessments of when he thought they were born. And no, they have a legal birthday on the passports and birth certificate now, but we don't actually know. And they didn't even have names. And so when we met these two little boys, their, their last name, which is their family name, was the orphanage's name. That was their family name. The orphanage. And... So these little boys that we named Nathaniel and Benjamin, we, we get them on a plane for the first time and we, we fly home to Abu Dhabi. And if I told you that it was awesome, I would be lying to you. It was so hard. It was so difficult. I'll never forget having one meal early on, having brought them home and my older children, the bio. Josh and Abby asked, when will meals be fun again? Because these little boys, they had received a new name. Now they were part of the Levant family. Now they had a father, and they had a mother, and they had a new identity. They were no longer identified as orphans with the last name of the orphanage, but now they belonged to a people, they belonged to a family, and they were loved and they were treasured and they had a new identity. And yet they still didn't understand what that looked like. And so these two little boys, this whole having a family and being part of a family thing, they weren't feeling it <laughs> Because when we would try to sit them down in their high chair, They didn't want to sit there because they had never been sat in a high chair before. So the idea of of them at one year of age grabbing a Cheerio to eat it was unimaginable to them. That was anathema. They would scream if you would even try to put food in their hand. They were always fed, just being held and just kind of shoveled food down their mouths. And so the idea of sitting at a table with the family was a foreign thought to them and they wanted no part of it. And the idea of being held was foreign to them. So whenever I would try to hold Nathaniel, he would arch his back and push away from his father. And whenever I tried to hold his hand, he would yank his hand away and wanted nothing to do with me holding his hand. He had never received affection before. And it took time and prayer. And tears and pleading before God on, will you heal these little boys? And praying over them and and loving them. We call it holding therapy. We would just hold them, and they would scream and arch their backs and elbow and kick and try to get away. And we would hold them and say, "We love you," and like touch their whole bodies and just feel that they're loved. And before long, the Spirit of God, who is faithful, began. To heal them and to help them understand that they belong and they have family and an identity and that they're not part of this family. So, even when it was really hard the first year plus, they were already part of the family. They already had a father, they already were loved, they already had a new name, they already belonged. But they had to grow in their identity. And they had to learn what it meant to be a Levant, which means you don't scream at the table. (laughs) It means that, you know what, you're going to be loved and you're going to be held and you're going to hold your dad's hand on the street. Like, deal. They had to grow. They had to learn to live out the identity that was already there. But learn to live it out. And that's what it's like for you and me. We already have a new identity. We already have a father. We already belong to the family of God. We already have his spirit. We have everything that we need. We already, we're saved. We're end up by the spirit. This, these are objective truths beyond how you feel day to day. These are true of you. You right now are part of His family, but we have to grow to learn how to live out this new identity. It takes time and it takes growing to know how to be a son of God, to behave in His kingdom. You're not part, you're not on the streets anymore. You're not an orphan anymore. Now you belong in the palace with the king, and so now your life should look different. And even if inside you don't always feel it, but Over time, God is faithful, and we will learn how to behave in the kingdom of God. That's what growing is. Part of God's eternal purpose for you to live in His presence and to enjoy Him forever. And so our growth points to eternity. But what is a goal? What is the ultimate goal of our growth? 2 Peter 3.18 2 Peter 3.18 He says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and on the day of eternity. Amen. So He says that we are called to grow, He says, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So our salvation begins with the grace of God. So when you were chosen, And when you responded with faith and repentance, when you were declared justified, where your salvation began, that was God's grace. And then it'll end one day when you were resurrected and glorified. So salvation began with being justified. It will end with being glorified. That's by God's grace. And right now, in between those two, we live the life of faith called sanctification. And that's also by God's grace. So your justification, sanctification, and glorification, all three phases of salvation begin with and end with the grace of God. It's Him doing it. Us responding to Him in faith. So He says here that we grow in grace, but He says that this, this growth flows from, it says grace, but it says also grow in the knowledge Sister in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, when we read the word knowledge, I think sometimes we think it means acquiring academic information about the Bible. Or we think knowledge means knowing a bunch of facts about the Bible. But the goal of the Bible and the goal of God's redemption is not to give us information about God and make us smarter sinners. That's not the goal. The goal is that we would know him. So this knowledge refers to not an academic knowing of facts, but a knowledge of God, a knowing God personally. Who here speaks Spanish? Even a little bit. Anyone? Oh, sorry, Olivia. I love it. Okay, so pop a quiz for Spanish speakers. If you're talking about knowing something, but knowing just academic facts or information, what's the word for that? Saber, muy bien, saber, yo sé, tú no sabes, means you don't know, Um, yo yo sí sé, I do know, and so saber means to have knowledge or information about something, but if you're talking about knowing a person, what's the word for that? Conocer, very good, both of them refer to knowing, but the word saber just means information, but to conocer someone means to know the person. Spanish is awesome. It's better than English in a lot of ways, but um, and I'm biased. So, what well, I like English too. It's all good. So, what you see is, this is describing a knowing God personally, not having information about God. So, what he's saying here when he says, that we grow in in the knowledge, we grow in the grace of God, what he's describing is that we grow by the grace of Jesus and by knowing Jesus more. This is how we grow. And then he says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So he says, all of this growing, you grow in knowing Jesus by the grace of Jesus, you grow for the glory of Jesus. And so, our ultimate goal is not growth. Hear me. Like, this is super important. Which is why I say in our strategy, growth is the result of the mission. But I said, what is the end of the mission? Worship. Worship is the fuel for, but also end of. So, the end, the goal is worship. Growth is simply the result of... And so you know what growth is? Growth is the means. The end is worship. The end is knowing Jesus, enjoying Jesus. So we grow so that we can display the glory of Jesus. So the ultimate goal is imaging, reflecting the glory of Jesus, done in relationship so, how exactly, let's, this is key, how exactly do you glorify God? I'll give you one word. Enjoy. You enjoy God. The very enjoyment and its essence, like the enjoyment of God is glorifying to God. That is what worship is. You're enjoying Him. This is the whole point in uh, John seventeen Jesus is praying for his disciples. He was going to be arrested within hours and crucified the next morning, and he prays He says that th- that this is eternal life that they know you and me, knowing God, as you see here as well, this knowledge of is a knowing him. When Jesus is our deepest treasure, our lives demonstrate that nothing in this world is more enjoyable than him. And I can promise you that if you are enjoying Jesus, you are worshiping Jesus, you are glorifying Jesus, then your life will be more holy. So Galatians 5 describes fruits of the what? Yes, but the verses before describes another list that people don't talk about. For some reason, it's weird. Fruits of the flesh. They're both side by side, by the way. And everyone focuses on fruits of the Spirit, which we should, but we can't forget the verses before that describes the fruits of the flesh, which Paul says are against the Spirit. And he says, what are fruits of the flesh? He says, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and less you think that it's exhaustive, he ends by saying, and things like these. He says, oh, and there's more. Our hearts are able to produce all kinds of creative evil. So he says, this isn't even all of it. This is just a sampling of what happens inside of us. But really in the middle of that idolatry, everything else is like a sub point. That's what it is. So we, we enjoy Jesus. We worship him. Result is holy living. We, we don't enjoy Jesus. We enjoy idols. The result is what well, we just read the list. So, Fruits of the flesh, we just read, fruits of the spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So here's how this works. We're all going to bear fruit. Period. That isn't even the question. We're going to bear fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit are we going to produce? So you walk in the Spirit and you surrender to Him and you enjoy the presence of Jesus and you produce fruits of the Holy Spirit. You walk in the flesh, resist the Holy Spirit and enjoy the presence of idols. Results are fruits of the flesh. Those are the options. There's no third option. But this growth is God's Work. Let's take a few minutes and ponder 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3. And I want want to read a paragraph to you as we consider how this growth, this transformation is God's work. 2 Corinthians 3 verses 12 through 18. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So he summarized at the end, this is important, this is God's work. So our transformation Is, he says we're being transformed into the image of God, it says in verse 18. And it's a slow process, degree by degree. And he says this comes from the Spirit. So this is God's work. Now let's, let's understand this, this verse. Okay, so verse 13. So in the Old Testament, God will communicate, now this is in Exodus in case you're wondering. God communicated to Moses on Mount Sinai. He gave him the Ten Commandments, all of, all of the law. So that, so that's when that happened and whenever Moses was there with God on the mountain, he was in the presence of God and so then his face, Moses' face was radiating the glory of God. He was reflecting God's glory. And it says in Exodus 34 and he says it again here in 2 Corinthians 3, that Moses will put a veil over his head because when he was away from the mountain, away from God's presence, the shining would fade away. And so he didn't want people to see it fading. So that's why it says here, the outcome of what was being brought to an end. And so he would put on the veil so that people couldn't see that fading away. And so Paul here, as Spirit inspired him, so let's be very clear on that, as Spirit led Paul, he is interpreting that, he's saying this is a picture of the hardness of the minds of people. He says their minds were Hardened, and so people can't see the glory of God. If you go back to Exodus 34, in the same context where this is referencing, it describes how they were all freaked out by Moses' shining face. Like they were all terrified. They're like, "Wow, his face is shining!" They were like, they didn't know what to do. And so, he put a veil over his face for that two purposes: on to not see it fading, and to not freak out the whole nation. And that's the same thing today that people are afraid of seeing the glory of God. We are, we are fearful of God. This is part of the human condition. And in, in the West, we don't think of that as much because we're not a fear power based culture. But, but you go to India or you go to Africa and let me tell you, this is real. And I think sometimes we ought to be more afraid because there are very real spiritual warfare realities all around us, but we don't have a spirit of fear, we have a spirit of power, of course, this is the spirit of God who is in us. But my only point is that we don't think of fear that much, but I assure there are people around that you will meet that even in our guilt innocence based culture that's not that's not fear or power based, even in the West, there are some people that you know. That are fearful of God and afraid that God is gonna, God doesn't love them or won't take care of them or is not trustworthy or however they respond, they don't run towards God; they run away from God. And so the the point here is that there was a veil of separation between people seeing God's glory. There was a veil that was in between. So verses fourteen and fifteen, he says that there is still a veil in people's minds that allows them to not understand the true meaning of God's law. And so people can, it says, read the Bible, and yet they're blind to the true meaning of it, it says, until they turn to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. And then that veil is removed, and they can understand the Bible, and they can see the glory of God, and they don't run away, and they're not hardened against God. So he removes our spiritual blindness. Verses 16, he says, when someone turns to Jesus, that veil is removed, that hardness is removed, and we can see the glory of Jesus. And it's kind of like like when, when I want my children to eat healthy, and, and we feed them food that Bonnie and I are eating, like squash or whatever else, and they look at it, or eggplant, and they're like, mm, they don't want to eat it and we're like take one bite and then it's like this this grotesque and then they'll take one bite and it tastes gross to them they don't like it but that same food tastes good to me like I like it and so it's it's the same thing there are people that when you share the gospel with them and they they taste the gospel it tastes gross to them it's like squash to them they don't like it and they spit it out They're, they 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 taste the gospel and they say, oh, this is gross. Jesus died on the cross? You say you're a sinner? Did I deserve hell? No, I ain't buying that junk. They taste it and they reject it and it does not taste good to them. Yet to a believer, you hear those same truths and it tastes sweet. You think, oh man, I am a sinner. I do deserve to burn in hell. I don't deserve the mercy of God. God loves me. He died. Jesus died for me. I belong to him. All of a sudden, that same message that is repulsive to the lost person tastes so sweet to the believer. Because that veil is removed. The blindness is removed. The hardness of heart is removed. He says the hardness is removed. Now, why does he say that? Verse 17 says that left to ourselves, we will interpret, even as believers, we will interpret God's law as commandments that He loads on us like a heavy burden. And we think, All of these laws and regulations and thou shalt not, it's so restrictive. And we live in a world that says that, right? That God is just oppressive and so restrictive because it's a heavy burden of laws. We think, man, that is just slavery. We think, man, I'm just enslaved under the burden of a demanding God That says, thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not, and thou shalt not. And and people just think, oh man, it's just so heavy. And so we can respond one of two ways. We can respond with rebellion or legalism. Rebellion says, no way, I'm done. This burden, God, of all your rules and regulations, it's just too heavy. I'm done. I want freedom from God and all of His rules and all of His oppressive regulations. I have to go to church. I have to give 10% His kingdom. I have to read the Bible. I can't look at porn. Oh, I can't even have, I can't even go to the bars. I can't, oh, God has so many restrictions and rules and He's, he's a cosmic killjoy. And so we, we respond, people do with rebellion others respond with legalism and they say okay I'll try I'll work hard I'll be religious I'll try to measure up and keep all of these rules and all of these laws with external compliance so I look good and others are impressed with me I'll show up twice a month on a Sunday so people can see me there and think I'm a good person and a good Christian And I'll put a few bucks in the offering plate so everyone's impressed with me. Look at me. And we have this religion about us and it's just legalism. But either way, legalism or rebellion, either one, there is no enjoyment in it. There's no want to. And Tapari describes that slavery. Slavery. Being told you must do this and your heart does not want to do it. That's slavery. What's the solution? The transforming work of the Holy Spirit. He said, What the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He gives us a want to obey. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Internal change. We're now, all of those regulations aren't really regulations anymore. Like That's just part of being in a relationship. It's like if I told you I have all these regulations, like I have to spend time with my wife, and I have to buy her flowers on her birthday, and I have to take her out on dates, and I have to rub her back when her her shoulders hurt. Like, man, so many rules being married. Well, that's relationship. That's what it is. And we do it out of love. We want to. And so what happens is, it's not slavery, it's love, it's a relationship. And we want to obey, because we want the presence of God. We yearn to, we have a new desire to reflect our Father. So we want to walk in obedience and in holiness. We want to give 10% or more. We want to be there on Sunday. We don't want to miss home group. We want to give up the pornography. We want, we want... We desire to, because our heart has been changed. But it's also our work. Yes, God does it through His Spirit, but it's our work. Because it says that we must behold, it says, the glory of God. We must do this seeing, we must do the focusing on Jesus. Why Philippians 2, 12 and 13, describes working out our salvation. It doesn't mean earn your salvation, you already have that. It means growing in this relationship. What it means is growing and living out your new identity. Think of it this way. Think of it like a power outlet. Okay? Do you have to supply the power for your power outlet to work? I mean, you got to pay the bill, I guess, but let's make that assumption, right? All you do is plug into it, right? And if you plug in, then you get the power. You don't supply it. You just plug into it. Same thing with water. If you want water out of your faucet, you don't have to supply the water. You have to just do what? Turn the knob. That's it. If you turn it, then you get the water. But if you don't plug in, or if you don't turn the knob, guess what? You don't get power. You don't get water. And so God supplies the power. God supplies the grace. He supplies the power to the spirit. He supplies the living water. All we have to do is plug in and turn the faucet. And then we will, we will drink the living water and we will receive the power of the spirit. It's there. It's an endless supply. It's just tapping into it. How do you tap into it? We talked about it earlier in Acts 2.42. Word, prayer, fellowship. Like it's not hard. Well, actually, I would say maybe it is hard because we're sinners and we want our idols instead. But it certainly is simple. It's not complex. So it is hard, but it is simple. It's walking in the Spirit. And as we read, it's the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's walking in the Spirit. It's being aware of his presence. It's getting up early so you can meditate and journal and, and just sit there and enjoy the presence of Jesus and throughout your day having him on your mind and, and not going hours upon hours and not even thinking or talking to Jesus. It's what some call practicing the presence of God. It's a continual relationship where you're talking to him, where you're reading the word and you have fellowship around you, walking in the Spirit, hearing His voice, being aware of His presence, that gives us the power to walk in obedience. And I'm not talking about holy perfection, alright? Hear me. I'm I'm not preaching holy perfection. But what I am saying is that we can live with a holy direction. And we grow together as you wrap up. We talk about word and prayer, but also fellowship. This, we talked about that last week. So I won't go over it because we have talked about that all last week on fellowship. But this is why we have home groups that are word-based, where you have community and you pray, but you have each other to encourage you to keep going. This is why, by God's grace, I want to preach sermons every week that are going to be word-based that will, I, I hope, encourage but also challenge you in, in your Walk in your in your growth. And we'll launch this closer to April when we are closer to a public launch. Um, but, but we're going to start eventually discipleship groups that are groups of two to four people of the same gender that will be meeting weekly within your home group. Um, different home group time, different meeting time, but more accountability and just deeper relationship and encouragement and multiplication so that we can do this together. Because our God is at work. So accomplishing His original purpose for people that He loves deeply. And so our growth, again, is a reclaiming of God's purpose for us. And talk, talking about renewal, being made new and growing in Jesus. And guys, it's not optional. For a believer, growth is not really optional. If you had a child that wasn't growing physically, would you be alarmed? Would you go to the doctor and say, She's not growing. Like something is wrong with him. He's 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 not growing. Like you would be alarmed, and you ought to be, because if you're healthy, then you're growing. And so following Jesus is a continual reality of growth. And we do because it's who we are, it's what we do. We reflect our Father's character. So my prayer is that Renewal Church will be a faith family where God's people so enjoy his presence. And we then respond with lives of obedience for the praise of our God's name. Pray with me. We love you. We thank you, Father, for being so good, for being with us, giving us the gift of life and of redemption. We ask that you would make this church a holy people, a missional people, people who are just zealous for your glory and want to know you and to make you known. We ask for your anointing, your leading, and your blessing upon Renewal Church. Bless our home groups this week. May they be fruitful, may they be encouraged and challenged, keep following you more closely. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Praise you in the name of our King and first love, Jesus.